Stiff arm again, quarterback in the clear, inside the 10, a hat trick, a touchdown for Justin Herbert. Morgan loads it up, down the middle, wide open Johnson, Tyler Johnson, touchdown. A lot of intensity, and Matt Jones going downtown here on the first play to Judy, and there he goes, goodbye Jerry Judy, 85 yard touchdown. Andrew Dowdy back on the High Motor Podcast, the pre-national championship podcast, LSU Clemson coming for you on Monday the 13th. And before then, a lot of eyeballs on Starkville, Mississippi, where it seems like every year, it seems like we get one notable coaching change late in the year. You know, I have to actually go back and look up to see if we've had at least one late P5 or notable G5 change this late, but it sure feels like it. Miami last year comes to mind. Mark Rick retires late. Manny Diaz uh, jumps over from Temple, Minnesota a few years back. And now this year, after the 2019 season, after the bowl season, coming into January 2020, four days after the Music City Bowl, Mississippi State fires head coach Joe Moorhead, Joe Moorhead after only 26 games. And, and Moorhead now that third casualty of the 2018 carousel, the post-2017 season, uh, but coaches who were in that first year in 2018, now Willie Taggart, Chad Morris, and Joe Moorhead out at Mississippi State. And Joel Coleman of the Starkville Daily News is here to break this down for us, run through the search and some more. Chase Kitty will be on in a little bit for You're Wrong and a whole bunch of other stuff. But right now it's Joel Coleman. And Joel, we've heard that some disciplinary off the field, some lack of control, whatever you want to call it, uh, do you know if that's actually true? Uh, actually true, or was that just kind of John Cohen and Mississippi State just not thinking that Moorhead was the right guy moving forward? Well, I think it was a combination of factors, and yes, there, there was a lot of off-field stuff. Frankly, I believe was was the, the major player here, and why Joe Moorhead's no longer in Starkville. Um, I mean, you can trace back the off-field stuff really, to, I guess, just before the season, um, Mississippi State got hit with some NCAA penalties for uh, some academic misconduct stuff and uh, had some players that uh, apparently there was a, a student tutor that had done some coursework for them, uh, taking some chemistry tests or something to that nature. Uh, don't know that that was ever exactly outlined what it was, but it, there was some academic scandal, if you want to call it that, that led to some NCAA penalties and ended up 10 Mississippi State football players um, got suspended this season for eight games, uh, including three or four or five prominent guys that would have played much bigger roles, I mean, like starting-level players. So um, can you hang all that on Joe Moorhead? Nah, probably not. If you get a guy or two that, that made some dumb decisions, um, that's it. He's just head of that table. You know, he, he is the head coach, and, and so – Whenever you when you evaluate the totality of all these, you got to take that into consideration. There were some things, most notably, probably here in the last couple of weeks, just before the bowl game, uh, linebacker Willie Gay and uh, Garrett Schrader, the quarterback, would have been the starting quarterback in the Music City Bowl. They had a, a practice altercation, and Willie Gay ended up uh, doing some damage to, to Schrader's orbital bone and knocking his starting quarterback out of the game uh, headed into the Music City Bowl. So there was that. that. That put a you know literal and figurative 
black eye on the program. I, I don't want to paint the picture that Joe Moorhead is a bad guy. I, I think Joe Moorhead actually is one of the, the nicest and most genuine human beings that, that you will ever meet if you ever get a chance to. Uh, he, he's a great guy. But I feel like there was a, a perception, both externally and from those you talk to internally, that to some extent there was, wasn't as much discipline as there needed to be. Uh, there wasn't as much accountability as there needed to be. And when you couple all that with the on-field results, which last year, State finished State and five, if they had the top defense in the country, um, had three first-round NFL draft picks. If, if Mississippi State had scored just 21 points in every game last year, I think they would have either gone undefeated or only lost one game or something like that. I mean, they, it, it, they ended up losing five games. Um, so as good as the year as some might look at and say they had last year, there was a sense here that Joe Moore had underachieved. And then you follow that up this year with a, a six and seven season, some very disappointing showings throughout the year, um, some games in which it looked like State was completely unprepared. When you just add all this up, that, the, the, the off-field disciplinary issues, it kind of felt like he was, quite frankly, losing control of the team a little bit. Um, all that in totality is why Joe Moore is no longer in Starkville. Do you think that that this was the wrong hire to begin with? And in hindsight, that Joe Moorhead was never really set up to succeed in, in, in Starkville? Or do you think more of it, I know you say you don't want to paint Joe Moorhead as a bad guy by any means, but do you think that some mistakes that Joe Moorhead made in his two years with oversight or whatever things you just talked about is why he ultimately did not succeed? You yeah, asked a great question. Um, a couple of years ago, everyone, myself included, kind of thought this was a pretty genius hire. You bring in a guy that offensive coordinator of the year or whatever at Penn State just a year or two before he came here, uh, wrapped up some huge numbers. Now, granted, he had the uh, talents of Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley up at Penn State. I mean, when you have talents like that, you know, you and I might possibly could, could look like offensive gurus. So, uh, but it, it wasn't just that. I mean, he had offensive success, um, whether it was his head coach at Fordham or, or whatever. So, you know, he, he had all of this offensive success. And with Dan Mullen leaving, you know, Dan Mullen was kind of an offensive-minded coach. It, it kind of seemed like a natural transition into another guy that, that prioritized offense and uh, doing things creatively. In a lot of ways, it seemed like a home run hire. I mean, it was a hire that was praised nationally by a lot of folks. Not that that's what you're looking for when you make a hire, but, you know, it, no one really looked at it as, though, oh, I don't know if it's going to work. Really, the only thing he heard was, I mean, you got a guy from the Northeast coming down south, can he recruit things? And really, you know, states recruited better under Joe Moorhead than they did under Dan Mullen. So, um, that wasn't an issue. I, I, I just don't know. You know, I've had some conversations since Joe Moorhead's firing, and it, it just seemed like Mississippi State might have undersold, um, or maybe I just didn't have enough information to see that Joe Moorhead just didn't seem to have that sternness, perhaps. That, that You know, I guess I liken it a little bit. I'm a, I'm a parent of two children under the age of three and a half, and you'd love for them to love you all the time, but sometimes... You know, you got to be daddy and be a little stern. Um, I don't know if they undersold just how much of a disciplinarian he needed to be. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a fantastic question. I really thought strategically it was a good hire, um, but off the field it kind of proved not to be. And then really on the, it's been pretty uh, lethargic in his two years, particularly when, when it has played any defense with a backbone whatsoever. 
And now going to to what Mississippi State is left with after they move on their second head coaching search in in the last 23, 24 months. And Billy Napier basically uh, withdrew from any search. He didn't come out and publicly say it, but but through however uh, Brett McMurphy and some others were reporting it, he basically withdrew uh, his name from any sort of advances. Was Billy Napier the top target? Was he the guy, or was he just one of those those three or four guys that State was targeting? I feel like, um, based on just the conversations and things that I've had, that, that Billy Napier was the top guy. And quite frankly, I, I know what he said earlier on Sunday, and then what Brett Murphy and Ross Dellinger and some others have reported. Quite frankly, I'm not sure that he's not still the top guy, um, regardless of, of what he said yet. Maybe that's because I covered Dan Mullen, and Dan Mullen, I mean, even after the 2017 Eggbone, he planned to be the coach to start for him, and then we, two days later, and he was in Florida. I mean, it, you never know. I really they'll play on Monday night and uh, get that 11th win this season. I will be intrigued to see um, if if that sticks. I'm not saying Billy Nature is going to be the next coach at Mississippi State. I'm just saying that whenever he says that he's not a candidate and other folks have reported that, so, so we'll see if that holds. But look, I, I do think that I get the impression that he is the, the top target. For Mississippi State. So last thing for you here, you do say you, you think it would be Billy Napier you're not ready to throw him out. Um, and I'm not sure if you're a betting man here or if you do, if you want to kind of evade the question a little bit. Who do you who do you think is the guy? I mean, we've heard a lot of names tossed around, uh, either speculation or if people actually have sources that these guys are of interest to in Mississippi State. Though, I mean, if it's not Billy Napier, do you have one or two guys that that you think that State would actually hire if they cannot get Napier or if Napier is actually out? Yeah, I, I'll base some of this on on, on kind of my reporting and, and the reporting of some others here around the beat. Other than Napier, again, I still think um, Joe Jones, uh, an assistant with the Patriots, he is a Mississippi State alum. Uh, He's highly interested in this job. Apparently, uh, come forward with with a a pretty good plan for a staff with him. So he's a name to watch. Todd Grantham, who was a defensive coordinator here at Mississippi State under Dan Mullen for for Mullen's last season. He went with Mullen to Florida. His son is actually a, a Mississippi State baseball commit, so uh, that would uh, be interesting if he wanted to come be at school that his son can play baseball at. So then you have uh, Troy Calhoun at, at Air Force and uh, Jeff Lumpkin at, at, at Army that, that State's taking a look at, too, apparently. And uh, that some of the, the names that have been kind of tossed down in the last 24, 48 hours. Um, if you made me break it down a little bit, it, it kind of seems like I've heard more. And, and this is probably because he is a Mississippi State guy, so to speak. I probably heard more other than Napier uh, about Joe Judge than anyone, but there's a risk there. I know I know he's been under under Belichick, and uh, you know, but but he's never been an SEC head coach and stuff. So you know, do you want to kind of tie your job to a guy that's kind of learning only job to be a head coach? I, I don't know the answer to that question. But one thing I know about John Cohen is that we certainly hired Joe Moore a couple of years ago. He doesn't always know the way you think he's going to go. Um, Jim Moorhead was not a guy that was bandied about as a top candidate um, for the Mississippi State job a couple of years ago, and uh, yet he was a guy that ended up in Stark. Joel will be all over the search. Uh, he's on Twitter at Joel T. Coleman and StarkvilleDailyNews.com. Hey, Joel, thanks for the time. Have a good weekend, and hope all goes well with this search. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on anytime, man. Chase A. Kitty on the High Motor Podcast after a week break from him. So good to have you back. 
Great to have you back. Are you excited for a little jaunt down to Frisco, Texas, JMU, NDSU next weekend? So excited. Uh, this I've, I've been before. Every time I go, it feels like I go for a longer amount of time. You're not driving, right? I am not driving. I'm flying. What's the drive? Probably 15, 20? It's, it's like 15, 16, yeah. But you're going for an extended period of time. I am. I'm going down Wednesday and coming back Monday. Doing a little Airbnb in Frisco? That's correct. Are you going to have a good time? I think so. I'm not going in any sort of professional capacity. That's I know my I'm next gonna... question. You're not a credential media for that game. I am not. I was offered credentialed media. I said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm just going to go and just be shit-faced for like four days in Texas. I have a hard time seeing how that won't be a good time. I'm not even an FCS guy, but you and I have talked off air that I would like to go do that at some point. Um, Frisco, Texas isn't really on the bucket list for me at the moment. Uh, the travel budget isn't huge right now, so I'd I'm not going to do it, but I think it would be a good time. Yeah, you go down there for a couple days, and so for people that aren't familiar with the geography of Texas, Frisco is a suburb of Dallas. So you're close enough that you can hit, you know, all of the Dallas spots, and you can you can go tour like Jerry World, or you can go to a Mavericks game, or th- there's plenty of things you can go do. And then as we get closer to the weekend, you just get into you get into football mode and you get ready for the championship game. And this will be my first time not flying out immediately Sunday morning right after everything sort of closes down. So I'm going to have some extra time there to poke around, go get some good barbecue, uh, probably go to the National Video Game Museum, maybe a couple other things. So we're going to do a few things here. We're going to play You're Wrong because that's always just good, clean family fun. We're also going to start, I don't know if it's going to be a regular segment, but we're going to do a few of these segments um, over the college football offseason, probably next couple of months. We haven't named this segment yet. I don't even know if it needs a name. It's more of, can this team stay good? You know, this team had a great 2019 college football season, better than they have historically been, especially over the last 10, 20 years, whatever. Can they stay good? One team per episode. It's going to be Baylor this week. And then some other stuff uh, if we have time. And you know what? Let's do your wrong first here. Chase, what do you got for us this week in your wrong? Okay, a little bit of everything in your wrong this week. Uh, I'm going to start at the top with a topic that I know is near to, near and dear to you, and that is Texas football. Texas over Utah was the only real upset of bowl season so far. I have a really hard time. We kind of talked about this uh, on your your podcast, Master of None, I don't know, two weeks ago maybe. I don't put like any stock into bowl season. Like 1% of my opinion for that team the following year or – my opinion for that team of, of 2019 is formed based upon what happened in the bowl game. An upset odds-wise, sure, I know that you were heavy on Utah, but I just have a hard time making any sort of conclusion and proclaiming that this was a true upset. You see what I mean? Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. That's a, I'm going to, is, is that a you're wrong or is that a I refuse to recognize your statement? I think you're wrong on that, and I just don't want to give Tom Herman any smidgen of credit ever. <laughs> We're going to circle back to that here in a few minutes. Tom uh, Herman could cure cancer, and it would not be his doing. Excellent. Can't wait to... Uh, okay, we'll, we'll circle back in a few minutes. Uh, continuing with the college football, and I do have some other non-college football ones here, but continuing with college football, Miami is not allowed to be ranked in a preseason top 25 until further notice. You know, I've been holding off on... Because I don't really react to bowl games, but bowl season kind of pushes me over the edge in some areas where I get, like if Texas would have gotten blasted, 
it would have pushed me over even farther. I'm way over the edge on Texas football. I am so sick of the hype of them. I'm so sick of the hype on Nebraska, on Miami, on all of these teams that let's just let's stop pretending like, yeah, Texas had the great run 10 years ago, but let's just stop. I think you're on the same boat as me on this. Can we just call these teams what they are? I mean, this is no longer just like a little blip for Miami football. And I, I, I'm not I don't even know if I'm yelling at anybody because I feel like most people understand what Miami football is. But Miami football still gets talked about like Miami football used to be when you and I were young growing up. That's just not what Miami football is anymore. And I I don't care about Miami on a national scale. I don't care about Texas on a national scale. I'm so sick of Nebraska on a national scale that I, I don't even remember what you just said. What was your statement? Miami should not be allowed to be ranked in a preseason top 25 until further notice. I don't I don't care that they lost the bowl game to Louisiana Tech. I thought they were going to lose that bowl game. You got shut out by Louisiana Tech. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I'm fine with that. But yeah, we I don't, do we do this thing in the preseason I probably would have like, said agree with that before the bowl game too. I I think I would have too, but this really like you were just talking about, it sort of pushes you over the edge. This push, this was my pushing me over the edge moment. Like I, I'm, I'm not unaware that Miami is not some great national program anymore, but this is, I just how do you get shut out by Louisiana Tech, man? That's so maybe I should bad. amend what I said before, where I'm not reacting to bowl games. There are certain levels where it. There are just certain there are just certain games, and I don't I don't want to try to be a homer on the Minnesota stuff because I am a Gophers fan, but there that game felt like an important game for Minnesota going forward. It didn't feel like an important loss for Auburn. I don't think the loss for Auburn mattered, but how Minnesota won that game with like that seven or eight minute drive in the fourth quarter, basically pounding it down Auburn's throats. I think short term and long term that was extremely important for Minnesota. That being said, in most cases. I don't react to any sort of bowl game. So I, I, anyways, I agree with you. I don't think no matter how much Miami has coming back until they go, even when Miami was in playoff contention, if you want to call it a couple years ago, that was, it wasn't a good Miami team at all. I mean, they were total frauds that year. They were not a real true playoff contender. I think it was 2017 when they started like 10 and 0 or something and lost the pick game. So yeah, I completely agree with that. I would also put Nebraska in there. I would put Texas in there. I would put a lot of programs in there. Let's just stop pretending that these programs can do anything until they actually do anything. And you you have to put somebody in the preseason polls because you have to fill it out. But I think what I'm saying is, like, pick somebody else. Stop putting Florida State, Miami, Texas, Nebraska, and USC. Texas A&M. Yeah, like Texas A&M is just the default number 25. Yeah. In the bottom five, just because you have to fill it out. Like, do some actual homework and find a good G5 team that has 18 starters coming back. I would much rather see that than Miami at number 23. In but I think you make a good poll. point, though. And I remember that, that you and I were both huge fans of Canal um, and Rosillo and Rosillo and SVP before that, where Rosillo would always rail on people that got mad about the top 25. It's really hard to actually make a top 25. Like, once you get past 15... Yeah, once you get past 15 in most seasons, I think there are like pods when you do rankings, like one to five, sure, like those are the elite teams, and then maybe like five to 15, but then there's not that much of a difference between the 16th ranked team and like the 40th ranked team. So I get that you run out of teams, but I think you make a good point. Just find somebody else. Like I'm almost to the point where I might think that Nebraska is better than whatever G5 I'm all over, 
but I don't care anymore. I'm 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 just done. And I was even lower on Nebraska than than most people coming into the season. But I'm just done doing that. When I rank all 130 teams next year, I'm sorry, Nebraska. I'm sorry, Texas. I'm sorry, Miami. I'm just going to put you lower because I'm sick of it. And I don't care if that's fair or not. I'm just going to do it. One last college football one for you here. The winner of the FCS championship game will not score as many points as the loser of the FBS championship game. So you're thinking, and I think if I saw this correctly, your FCS national championship prediction on HeroSports.com was JMU like 24-21, right? Yeah, it was in that neighborhood. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. And I actually just did, I, I filled in for a little bit of FCS coverage. I usually do it every year for these couple of weeks uh, going into the national championship game. And I did a, a deep breakdown of NDSU scoring drives coming into the season. And, and I don't know as much about JMU. And maybe we can talk about that after you get back from Frisco. We can talk about their offense a little bit more. But it, it seems highly unlikely that the winner is going to get into the 30s, right? I would not think so, no. Right. The, these two teams played in the championship two years ago. It was seventeen to thirteen. Then again, I could see the college football playoff national championship being thirty four twenty seven, thirty five twenty four. I could see something like that, but it will be close. So I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, moving off of college football, uh, NFL prediction for you: George Kittle will be the Super Bowl fifty four MVP. What will his Let's say it's it's Ravens Niners. Let's just say that in terms of ranking the odds for Super Bowl MVP, where would Kittle be? Like fourth, fifth? Well, he's got to be behind Lamar. He's going to be behind, behind Garoppolo. I would think he would be behind Garoppolo. But is he going to be behind another skill player on he the He might 49ers? be third on that list. I it would be him or I would guess would, maybe Ing- Mark Ingram. Ingram Ingram would be ahead of him, yeah. And I don't I know. Think, I don't know if he would be. The only thing is I don't I don't see that big of a difference in potential and production potential between George Kittle and, and Mark Andrews though. So Kittle's got he, that the sex factor though. He's got the 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 you know, he's got that extra He's got that manly Iowa sexiness to him. He he's going to just bulldoze somebody in the third quarter for six extra yards and then everybody's going to go MVP. Hmm? So he could go like five catches for 52 yards and a touchdown, but have that bulldoze, whereas Mark Andrews went seven for 140 and nobody cares. Maybe. Because none of it was sexy. I think so. So you're saying that obviously the Niners would win that game. Yes. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I also just don't care. I don't care about individual awards at all in any sport. I get the mystique of the Heisman and all that stuff, but... It's just it, the voting process is so. Is there any individual award where the voting process isn't a complete joke? I can't think of one. Off the top of my head, I can't think of one either. I I can think of in every individual sport that we actually individual award that we actually care about. I could probably point out at least one example in the last five or six years of just an, a tragedy being you know elected to the award winner. I just. Well, it's like the Heisman is just the poster boy for it because here is the most prestigious individual honor in American sports. We've talked about this before. Like, yeah, Super Bowl MVP, NFL MVP is like above it in terms of the professional level, but the Heisman carries the prestige that no other individual. And I'm not talking like Masters winner. We're talking about like actual award. And even though you have this prestigious, iconic, historical Heisman award, the voting process for it 
is an absolute sham, and it has resulted in guys winning not this year. Most years they get it right. But there have been years we saw what happened to Christian McCaffrey, who was the best player in college football, and it wasn't even close. So here you have this prestigious award, and they can't even get it right. And I think that's a good reflection of how every single individual award in any sport works. It's it's totally subjective. I mean, look at what Bill Polian and his three serious XM colleagues didn't vote Lamar Jackson an All-Pro. I mean, what are you just bitter because you call him a receiver? Just crap like that. And it, it, I try not to care about it because the award itself doesn't matter. But there are bonuses attached to it, like in the NBA, in the NFL. Richard Sherman just got, I think, a two million dollar bonus for being an All Pro. So, like, there is money on the line here, and because Bill Polian is an idiot who got lucky with Peyton Manning in his career. I don't know if Lamar Jackson has any sort of all pro incentive on his contract, but because he doesn't want to admit that he botched Lamar Jackson's evaluation, now he's just being a bitter old man and won't change his vote, and that could affect any sort of incentive. Again, I don't know if he has an incentive, but still. Anyways, what else you got? Last one. This is a college basketball one, and it, it's very it's not only good topically nationally, it's also good specifically for you and for something we were texting about privately yesterday. For the second year in a row... Kansas will not win the Big 12. Do you have Baylor or Texas Tech or West Virginia? I would lean toward Baylor. I don't think West Virginia is out of it, but I would lean toward Baylor. Yeah, I think I think as you know better than anybody, West Virginia is that type of team that's capable of beating anybody. But they're also, and I actually like them a lot this year. I think they're more balanced, especially inside. Really balanced, yeah. I mean, to have, yeah, like Kanate has been there before and they've had guys inside, but I feel like, West Virginia hasn't had that sort of steady offensive low risk presence inside, right? That's what it feels like this year. Yeah, it's been a few years. Uh they they had some some good ones there in the last years of the Big East. Uh Kevin Jones comes to mind. Uh a couple guys if you go back 5 or 6 years. But it, it has been a couple of years since they've had a really nice front court presence. Uh Kanate showed flashes. He left early. He was more of a defensive player. Uh Tashevo is a real deal. He he's so good. Uh, so how much did you like Bob Huggins' post game comments on three blind mice, the refs? Uh, I mean, it's, I don't think it was. He just like, doesn't care. Like, I don't think it was that poorly of an officiated I game. Either. I think a couple years ago, when when Kansas came back and they had all those fouls, like I think there was a yeah. case there. And yes, I even as a Kansas alum, Kansas gets more calls now in Fieldhouse. Like that's not any sort of hidden thing. That that is just known, and I get that. It usually doesn't influence that many games, but it does happen. This wasn't like a poorly called game. I thought it was actually a very yeah. well called game. I thought there were a couple cases where I was like, I feel like that's inconsistent, or like I don't like that call. But you could watch any college basketball and feel that way. Like o- overall, I watched the game and I didn't. I didn't think it was all that bad. Uh, they certainly didn't lose because of officiating. They lost because they couldn't make a shot in the final 10 minutes of the game. So, But, you know, that, that Kansas will come to Morgantown and they'll lose because they always lose in Morgantown. And that's, yeah, they'll lose by like 30 points because they can't handle the, the full court pressure in Morgantown for whatever whatever reason. That's, you know, and that's how that'll go. Uh, I got one more for you, and it's, it's not in this you're wrong format. I'm going to give you four things, and I want you to, and I, there are four things I'm pretty confident you, you don't like. Uh, and I want you to order them in uh, the order that you would most like to do them, okay? So, attend the Winter Classic, which is in Minnesota this year. Next year. A year from now. Yeah, next year. Why uh, would I not want to do that? Why do you think I wouldn't want to do that? Well, I guess it's more about the other three. 
Fine. Join Tom Herman's staff as a quality control coach. Watch Netflix's The Witcher in one weekend. How many hours is it? Uh, I'd say between eight and nine. So it's a, is it a miniseries? Is it a show? What is it's, it? It's a show that has eight episodes in the first season. Okay. Or play and beat 2015's Game of the Year, The Witcher 3, in one weekend. I haven't played a non-Mario Kart video game since probably co- like freshman year of college. I got rid of my Xbox. That would have been 2007. So I couldn't do that. That's just impossible. Obviously, I'd, I'd rather go to the Winter Classic. I, I think outdoor hockey is the most overrated and unnecessary novelty in sports. I, I've, I've only been to one game. It was at TCF Bank Stadium when, when the Gophers played like Ohio State or something six or seven years ago. It's just dumb. I want to be inside in an, in an arena. Hockey Live is one of the best sporting events that you can go to. It's awesome. Making yeah. it, putting it outside, like you're just outside. I don't see how going outside makes just because there's more people there and horrible sight lines and you're overpaying and you're freezing your balls off. I don't get that at all. Anyways, I would still rather go do that, though. Do I have to pay for parking or will you pay for my parking? I think you have to pay for parking. You're going as a fan. Um, I would join Herman's staff just because I like Austin a lot. Big fan. That's fair. Austin's pretty great. I have. I just don't want to do anything with The Witcher. I, you know, I read a, a review for it the other day that said The Witcher is so bad that it's good. Was it the the terrible one that everybody made fun of? I don't know. It just came up my Twitter feed, and I read part of it. Somebody it's, put it's, a review out for The Witcher really early on, like the first day the embargo broke. That was so bad that it it like the review was so bad that it kind of went viral. No, it was it was probably on Friday where I read it. It just came out. Uh, I was I was a big fan, but I'm also a fan of the IP in general. So I'm maybe I'm not the best person to ask. I feel like that one because I I do my baby will nap on my stomach during the day for like three hours, otherwise she's crabby. So I'll put something on TV. I usually watch like one movie a day or something for two or three hours. So I feel like I could knock that out in three or four days without any sort of effort. So I would probably put that. Third, do I have to interact with Tom Herman while I'm in Austin, or can I be oh, the yeah, no he's show? Your boss. Can I just go to Panera and hang out for six <laughs> hours? You know, Chase and I were talking about this, and maybe this is something that I want you, the, the listeners, to give us feedback on this. Like, th- I think this would be really interesting. I'm very curious what you guys think. At High Motor Pod on Twitter, would you listen to a podcast where Chase and I had one guest on each week, or we just sat there and were shooting the shit on all the ways that we have, what's the right way to put it? Not like just skipped work, but basically... Evaded corporate responsibility in a fairly unprofessional manner. And don't get all up on your soapbox and your high horse. Everybody has done it. I don't, maybe you did it when you were 15 and you're working for whatever company, or maybe you're still doing it, but everybody has had a job where they have just either left during the middle of it or taken a four-hour lunch break or... You decided early these weren't going to be the people you asked for a reference in the future. Right, right. Or maybe you still did and you were able to skirt your responsibilities without them actually knowing. We have a lot of examples to give. I would be curious if you guys have examples to give and you would actually come on a podcast solely dedicated to how you evaded corporate responsibility. Preferably come on the podcast while, while you're, you're evading corporate responsibility. You want to talk about Baylor? Let's talk about Baylor. So again, this segment, I'm not sure how often we're going to do it, but we're going to start doing it because 
Baylor is particularly interesting. I want to do them first because the key here is Matt Rule. And we're talking here on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Matt Rule, as of right now, he's supposedly in Cabo with the family. He's still Baylor head coach. He is reportedly meeting with the Giants on Tuesday of this week. Uh, so depending on when you're listening to this podcast, right now he is still Baylor head coach. That could change in 48, 72 hours, whatever. So this is kind of two conversations here. Number one, can Baylor stay good with Matt Rule? Can Baylor stay good without Matt Rule? And when I say good, I'm not saying can Baylor go 11-1 and every single year, come within seconds of a Big 12 and playoff berth. I don't think anyone is expecting that every single year out of Baylor. I think that's in play some years. But when I say good, I'm saying Baylor can stay in that 8-10 to 10 win neighborhood every year, maybe a 7-win year here and there. But in like that 8-10 to 10 neighborhood, 11 wins here and there, Big 12 contention, or at, at least like one step outside contention every year. So Chase, two pieces here. And I don't think we even really need to do the with rule piece, do we? Like we're both all about Matt Rule. Do we even need to talk about with rule? Do you have any sort of, of hesitance or whatever you want to say about Baylor football if Matt Rule were to stay? Or do you agree with me that if Matt Rule stays for long-term, that Baylor's going to be a really damn good program for a long time? Long-term, we definitely agree. I think in the short term, you have to point out what the Big 12 looked like this year and what the Big 12 is going to look like next year and the just realistic implications that has for Baylor or any other top program in the Big 12. Because I think the Big 12 is really down this year. Uh, I think when you look at the bottom half of that conference, it wasn't very good this year. And I think that's uncharacteristic of how the conference is is usually composed. This is a conference that generally in football and in basketball, if, uh, if you take Kansas out of it, most of the teams can beat the other teams. And even in recent years, Kansas can jump up there and beat Texas or beat somebody else, you know, and, and, and sort of score one or two wins. I don't think really most of the bottom teams were all that competitive this year. When you look at TCU and you look at West Virginia and you look at Kansas and to some extent even Texas Tech, although Texas Tech did have a a nice couple weeks there in the middle of the season, I I really don't think they were as competitive as as they're normally going to be. I I really don't think you got as much out of the eighth best team in the conference as you usually do this year. And I think next year – you're going to see that bottom come way up. I, I, I think competitively, I think what Neil Brown's doing in Morgantown is impressive. I, I think that's a program that they've shown over the last 30 or 40 years. They're not usually bad two years in a row. I don't think they've ever been bad two years in a row over the last 30 or 40 years. So I would expect them to be back next year and pretty good. Not telling you that they're going to win the conference. I'm telling you they're going to win, I don't know, seven or eight games. And anytime you start talking about teams winning more games, those wins have to come from somewhere, right? I think Chris Kleiman's K-State program is on the rise. I think we could see TCU bounce back. I don't see Gary Patterson just being bad forever. These wins have to come from somewhere, and I think one of the places they can come from is Baylor, particularly when you look at what they're going to lose after this season. I so think for you, maybe it's like a step below. I said like that eight to 10 win neighborhood. You're more in like the seven to nine with an occasional six win season. You're going to see, you're saying more 
six, seven, eight win seasons than nine, 10, 11 seasons. But you still think that's good for Baylor football? I do. I think when you look at what the expectation is in Waco, I don't think, as you said, I don't think anybody expects every year Baylor is going to be some 11 and one team on the cusp of making the playoff. I think this is a team sort of like West Virginia that maybe levels out in that eight to four territory. And sometimes they jump up and they're 10 and two and they, they, they have a strong case to make for winning the conference. And they also maybe have a year where they're seven and five or they take a step back. I think they're in, they're clearly in that sort of second tier of the big 12 conference. They're not one of the elite powers. And I think with Matt rule, you maximize the, chances that you're going to jump up and be one of those top three teams. So let's take Matt Rule out of the equation now. And I think that I don't know, like I have no inside from inside information that he's going to leave. I would at this point be surprised if he stayed. And I had Ari Temkin of 105.3 The Fan in Dallas on the show last week, kind of talking about him and Lincoln Riley. It was a lot of good insight, a good show. If you didn't hear that one, go back and listen to it. But if I just had to bet on it, I would say that Matt Rule leaves. And one of the reasons being, I've talked about this a lot, is the Chip Kelly factor of what Chip Kelly did, being one of the most sought-after college football coaches, going to the NFL, basically failing, even though I think he did a lot of good things in, in Philly, at least wins and losses-wise. But he basically failed there, failed in San Francisco, took a full year off, and still got a really good job. Remember, he was the, the top choice for Florida they ended up going with Dan Mullen instead. Now he goes to UCLA, still like a tw- top 20 to 25 job. So I use the Chip Kelly factor of saying, why not take a shot here? And I get that Matt Rule loves Waco. And same thing with Lincoln Riley. I get that his family is there when you have a young family that changes everything. But if you're going to take an NFL shot, a good college job is still going to be waiting for you. Anyways, I would bet on Matt Rule leaving. I think that Baylor knows who they're going to hire if he does leave. I mean, Mac Rhodes has been there for three and a half years now. He knows who it is. He might even know if that guy would accept it. They might have even gone through some back channels to figure out if that guy would have accepted it. I mean, he's gone through this two years now with Matt Rule. This is the third year. He has to know who he's going to hire. Without Matt Rule, my confidence level plummets. And I get that Baylor football is in a completely different place now, but I'm almost just like playing the odds here. And I get that they made a great hire, but even though a great hire might seem like it. I mean, they struck gold with Matt Rule. It was a hire that surprised a lot of people. But it seems like they picked the absolutely right person for this job. I don't know if you could even have plucked like an established head coach at a P5 and had him come and do what Matt Rule has done, not just on the football field, but with all the issues off the football field, in the community, all that stuff. So I think they absolutely struck gold with Matt Rule. I'm not confident that they can do that again. So this becomes how good of a job is Baylor? Are you confident that they can even get the right guy two years in a row? Or excuse me, uh, two hires in a row after three years ago hiring Matt Rule? Uh, I mean, I think they could. I, I think my where I would be concerned is less about the Baylor factor and more about the coaching pool factor, right? It's something you and I have talked about a ton this year is well, there's a couple of coaches out there and we we agree that they're good and then once you get past that like who are the next hires cuz it's it's kind of a shallow pool right now when it's late also too and and even though we've seen good coaching hires like we saw Minnesota grab PJ Fleck late but that's kind of an anomaly i mean who who i can't even think i think that Brian Harson is the guy here i mean Brian Harson has shown a willingness to interview elsewhere 
But if you don't go get him, like, are you are you looking at Luke Fickle? Who and this is a completely different conversation. I wasn't really prepared to have this, but like, who do you go hire where you're saying this is going to work out really well? I don't know who that guy is for Baylor. Yeah, and even if he exists, are you getting him this late in the process? You know? Right. So I, it's. I would be concerned about a number of factors at this point, but you know, to, to take the Baylor, the pro Baylor side of it, they have to know, they have to hear all these conversations. They have to have a plan in place, right? They have well, to I know mean, they this have day to is have coming. five guys. And that's, that's kind of what I just talked about uh, with Joel Coleman for the Mississippi state job. I mean, it, it, ADs and everybody talks about this all the time that you have a list in your pocket and that's even if your situation is great. I don't know who Clemson's AD is. His, his name is skirting me at the moment. But you would think that he, not like physically in his pocket, but he knows that if Dabble were tomorrow to leave for the NFL or Alabama or whatever, who he would hire. That's why the Mississippi State thing kind of just baffled me because if you at all thought Joe Moorhead wasn't your guy or before you know you thought Dan Mullen was leaving, was Joe Moorhead really at the top of your list? So yeah, Baylor has to have that guy, especially... Again, this is a third straight year. Like Matt Rule interviewed for the Colts two years ago. Last year it was the Jets, and I think somebody else maybe. So they got to have their guy. And I can't. I mean, it's got to be Brian Harson, right? Who is? Who else is on that that short list for you? I guess. I mean, we're not in there, so we have no idea if they have reached out to somebody through a back channel and there's a really good candidate that they could grab. But I have a hard time believing with how late. I mean, we saw just what happened with with Billy Napier in Mississippi State. He signs a late contract extension after a great year. I don't know if that's why he's not leaving Louisiana, but you're sitting here first week of January. The first early signing period is done. That class is signed, depending on if people can get released. The second signing period is in, what, six, seven weeks? I mean, I I get that it's just one year, and ultimately if you have the right guy four or five years down the road, that first signing period is not going to matter that much. But I just, I, I don't, I'm not confident that Baylor would be that great with a new coach. You'd have to really, really impress me. But then again, I mean, Matt Rule wasn't... What Can you remember what you thought when Matt Rule was hired? I thought it was bizarre. I thought it was extremely bizarre. And I, I'm i not going to say I didn't think it was going to work because I think grading hires when they happen is just the stupidest thing in the world. But maybe Mac Rhodes just knows what he's doing and he knows the next guy to come in and he's talked with Matt Rule about who the next guy can be. I do not at all find it hard to believe that Power Five athletic directors know more about hiring coaches than me. Uh, so I really doubt it. But, I would take yeah. you. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I have many strengths in life. I don't. I don't consider myself. Do you a, ever wonder about that? If, like, if you were just put in charge and you could either conduct a search or tomorrow you could just say, "This is the guy we're hiring." How much would that really change things? I mean, really, like, how much would that? would that really change who you were going to hire? I bet it would not change things as much as people think it would, even though you didn't do all the background work, you didn't spend millions in private flights, you just said, this is the guy. Maybe maybe that's the new model. Maybe people will stop spending millions of dollars on search firms and like... You have a raffle or something, like a student raffle. And yeah, you just, just let... Picks the coach. Jim, the sophomore undeclared, uh, go ahead and throw a dart at a map of the United States... And whatever college town is closest, that's the first guy you interview. Yeah. Like you're hiring. Okay. You throw it and you got into the, you know, north of the Bay Area. Dan Hawkins is your guy. Or like you throw it at Bozeman. Jeff Choate is your guy. Or like you throw it at whatever. That's who you're hiring. And let's see how it works out. Are you throwing across your body there? It feels like you're pretty West Coast over there. 
because the West Coast is be better. more accurate than that. That's just factual. That the West Coast is better. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a big Richmond guy. I'm a big big fan. I like where I live. Chase, this was fun. Good to have you back. Great to have you back. Um, we probably won't do a pod together then this weekend if you're going to be. I guess we could do one from Frisco on Sunday. Yeah, get really weird. <laughs> That could be a good time. Anyways, yeah, we can do that. thanks again to Joel Coleman for dropping by. Uh, running through the Mississippi State search, the High Motor Podcast. We'll be back uh, soon. We'll, we'll figure out a schedule for that. In the meantime, send any topics, questions, uh, your wrong topics. We want some feedback on that podcast idea. I think it would work. So anything to the pod on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. Oh